Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest episode of what is rapidly becoming a welcome tradition, an MCU show preview special. This one is dedicated to She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, which debuts on Disney Plus on August 18th and introduces the world to Bruce Banner's cousin, Jennifer Walters, a high-flying lawyer who also happens to have many hulkish traits, like her cousin in the green skin the super strength, but none of the savagery or mindless rage. At least, not yet. And let me tell you folks, I am deeply in love with this show, which is surprising, irreverent, very funny, and is one of the best additions to the MCU in a long time. I know, I was on the fence after the first trailer as well, just like many of you were, I suspect, but trust me, the end product is a smash. Mind you, I've only seen the first four episodes, but I am assured by two of the people you're about to hear from that the quality doesn't dive off a cliff from episode five onwards, which is good to hear. So who are you going to hear from? Well, you're going to hear from the show's head writer slash creator, Jessica Gao, lead director and executive producer, Kat Koiro, who set the tone for the show and directed most of its nine episodes. Don't worry, they're Half an hour long, we are in sitcom territory here, folks. And Tatiana Maslany, the wonderful Canadian actress who plays Jen Walters and She-Hulk, and is, along with Kate Bishop, Kate Bishop, Stephen Grant, and Kamala Khan, the latest cracking character to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe via the small screen. Right, that's enough prattling from me. Even though I spoke to Tatiana first, I'm saving her for last. So first up is Jessica Gao. Now, I've seen the first four episodes, but by and large, we only talk about things that are already out there and in the trailers, like the presence in the show of Benedict Wong as Wong, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner slash Hulk, and Tim Roth, Tim Roth, loves a bit rough, as Emil Blonsky, the abomination. Still, just in case you are, spoiler averse, maybe come back and listen to this entire show after episode one has aired. Because we do talk about some of the stuff that happens in episode one, Jessica and I. Things like, ooh, slight spoilers await, the tiny tweak to She-Hulk's origin, and a very funny conversation in the show about whether Steve Rogers, Captain America, has ever, you know, done it. Done it. Had sex. So, here we go. Here's Jessica Gao. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on this very special Empire podcast by the writer of uh, and creator, in fact, of uh, She-Hulk attorney at law, Jessica Gao. How are, how are you? Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, well, so well, where is here, by the way? There's just a grey backdrop behind you, which is not very She-Hulk, quite frankly. I'm just, I'm locked away in a secure room, um, you know, at Marvel Studios. I'm just kidding. I'm in a hotel in Beverly Hills. <laughs> I'm in Kevin Feige's basement. Jessica, blink twice if you need yeah. assistance. <laughs> we can have people there in seconds to get you out. Um, no, of course not. Of course not. Um, but yes, congratulations no, on the show. We're very happy here. All of us are very happy to be stuck in Kevin Feige's basement, of course. I imagine his basement is better than most people's houses i'm certain of it <laughs> well actually i can tell you it's true because i'm here trapped there 
You're absolutely there. That's that's where it is. That's where all the Marvel shows and films are made in Kevin Feige's basement. And he basically just does the action figure. And it's a very strange start to the interview. Anyway, <laughs> congratulations on uh, She-Hulk. I've seen the first four episodes. They are terrific. I talked to Tatiana yesterday. She assures me that it doesn't go off a cliff after episode five, that the quality <laughs> is maintained from that point on. Oh, yeah. I think I think it just gets better and better. Or I could just be tricking everybody and say, and promise making big promises. <laughs> I I love how you take the basic premise of She-Hulk from the comics, but you twist it. Can you talk about where you started, for example, when you when you pitched the show to Marvel, when you uh, were uh, were in, you know in the frame, I guess, where talking to them about the show? What did you want to see from the show? What was your what was your pitch? Well, creatively, uh, my starting point was just who is this person? You know, because for me, TV, it it always starts with character. You know, you have to care about this person. And the main character is so important because you're going to want to have to hang out with them every week. Um, And so for me, I started with how to relate to this, how I relate to this character, because she was my favorite character from Marvel Comics. And, you know, we're just very similar. We're both women in our 30s who are working professionals with a career, Um, friends, which you don't often get to see in the MCU. Apparently nobody has non-Avengers friends and uh, and also family, too. You know, she has living parents, uh, which is uh, a rarity. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, if one day I suddenly got Hulk powers, if I suddenly got superpowers and turned into a Hulk that I didn't ask for, I wouldn't be psyched. I would be furious because I didn't ask for this. Also, way too tired to deal with any of that. Like, I have so much on my plate, so many things on my to-do list. I do not need this extra thing unwillingly thrown on top of me. Like, it is not a fantasy of mine to have to join the Avengers, you know? I would just be pissed because I had other things I wanted to do. And really, that's kind of the starting point for me with her is what would... Uh, like a normal average working woman, how would she react if this really happened to her in, in the real world? You know, like what would, uh, what would a realistic reaction be to all of this? And that was always kind of the starting point in the Genesis with this character. And what's the intention from the off, uh, both from, from your point of view and from, from Marvel's point of view, was that, was it, was it always to make something that felt very, very fresh and different for the MCU? I mean, you know, Jen breaks the fourth wall, which she does in the comic books, of course, and did before Deadpool came along. Uh, we should, we should yep. point that out. Uh, so it's, it's, it's great that she does it in the MCU before, uh, before Deadpool gets a chance to do that. You know, the burn run of She-Hulk was just was so meta. And that really was what made me fall in love with this character, you know, from the outset. So like that was very important that that stayed in the show, because to me, that is a foundational part of who this character is, you know, that kind of meta commentary, that self-awareness, and also the breaking of the fourth wall. Like those were, I think, just inextricably like linked to who this character is for me. Um, The wonderful thing is that, you know, the Marvel top brass were like very excited and happy to and supportive of really pushing the boundaries and making something that felt very different, very fresh, very new, and just a complete departure from everything that they have done because they have the the huge, you know, backlog of things that of area that they've already covered and they've done it really, really well, you know, mm-hmm. better than any studio has. So like they are not afraid to then push it and kind of explore new territory because they've already, they have kind of well 
well-trodden territories. And now it's time to find something new. And I was really pleasantly surprised at how Kevin really just gave me carte blanche, you know, from the beginning at the writing stage, he, he was open to anything. He would always say, you know, like he just likes good ideas. And a lot of people say that, but he actually means it. You know, he doesn't care how outlandish it is. If he thinks it's a good idea, then he wants to do it. And there were so many points where I thought like, I have to kind of stay within the boundaries of what I imagine the boundaries were for Marvel. And he would tell me, no, 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 go further, push it further. Why don't we try this? Why don't we go outside the box? And it was just so refreshing and like freeing to be told that and to be pushed further. Whereas normally I'm used to being pulled back. <laughs> and uh, and so it was always going to be a comedy. It was always going to be a half hour comedy right from the off. That was the, that was the approach. Yes, because um, my background is in TV comedy and that's my wheelhouse. So from the beginning and I mean, if you ever read She-Hole comics, like you would understand that she is she's always going to be in a comedy. But there's there's other things going on here as well. I mean, there's there's a wealth of what's interesting about the show is that and I said this to Tatiana is that it it feels some other shows like Moon Knight and Miss Marvel have felt a little bit disconnected from the MCU. But this goes the other way. So at what point in the in the writing stage or in the in the uh, planning stage did you know you were going to be using other characters from the MCU movies, specifically, of course, Hulk and Bruce Banner? I mean, right from the beginning. I mean, uh, Emil Blonsky Abomination was in my original pitch. Um, and I didn't know what their relationship to this character was anymore. I didn't know if he was, I didn't even know if there was a rights issue. I didn't know if they had any plans for him. But I wanted to use him. I had an idea for what I wanted to do with him. So I just put it in there and I thought, well, you know, either they like it or they don't. And either they make it happen or they don't, you know, and um, to their credit, they never didn't even bat an eye. They were like, oh, great. We like that. And, you know, I, I always knew I wanted the show to be as episodic as possible, you know, so that each episode there is kind of a complete story being told, even though there is a seasonal arc, you know, but you, but this is the kind of show where you are able to drop in and watch an episode and, and, and still have a good time and feel like there was a beginning, middle and end. And, um, and part of that is the nature of a legal comedy is, you know, you can have a case of the week if you choose to, um, which meant that we were able to kind of mine. We had so much fun in the writer's room mining just both the movies and the comics for characters that we wanted to use. Um, and we, t- we pick a character we wanted to use. And then we would think like, what's a funny reason that they would be in legal trouble? You know, like what would make this character be in court, you know, on either side of the law. And, um, and that was always our starting off point. And that was always the most fun is trying to come up with these like very character specific reasons that they would be need legal help. And then of course we'd get to a certain point then where we'd have to run to daddy Feige and ask him if we can actually (laughs) use this character. And sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no. Which is easy to go to daddy Feige because he's upstairs. You just, you just leave the basement and and there he is. (laughs) Exactly. You know, we'd scratch at the door. <laughs> Who is it today? Oh, God, it's Jessica and She-Hulk. What do you want now? And then we, Honestly. Had to, we had to elbow all the other shows out of the way, you know, to get to the door for, for prime scratching position. I mean, using because, you know, we, I've seen the first four episodes. And so, you know, we can talk a little bit around some of the stuff that, that we've seen in that. Uh, obviously, we want to you know remain relatively spoiler free. But the trailer shows yeah. Wong. So Wong is yes. in that. So do you have to fight off other creators to use Wong? Because this feels very much like phase Wong so far. Everybody wants a piece of that guy. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. I, we didn't have to fight off anybody because I mean, I, I, I'm now assuming he's just in everything. I mean, it truly is the Wong cinematic universe, which I am all for. He is Benedict Wong is so wonderful and so funny too. And he's just truly like such a delightful person to be around Um, in, in between setups, uh, camera setups uh, when we'd have some time, he would just start playing music and DJ and have a dance party. And anybody who, who happened to walk by, he would say, come dance, come join the party. And he would just DJ and start a dance party. I mean, he just is such a wonderful presence on set. And it's also just so great to take a character that you mostly kind of see in dramatic moments and, you know, of of the MCU and really kind of explore the fun side of him and allow him to stay true to who he is, but also just kind of get to have play in our tone and really have fun with it. I mean, there's there's something really interesting about Wong. Uh, I think Benedict's done a great job over the last few movies. Yes, he's a Sorcerer Supreme, but there's a sense that there's something a bit sleazy about him, which is really... (laughs) Like, you know, like he, he can't believe his luck that he's the source of Supreme. So he's making hay while the sun shines kind of thing. <laughs> and he, he brings it. There's a moment in there's a moment in episode three that just made me he makes a swift exit, shall we say, that made me laugh quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's he's a little baffled by our weird uh, American laws <laughs> that he didn't ever have to think about. <laughs> It's such a it's such a minefield, but there's there's other things as well that I imagine you had to run to Daddy Feige, and that's a very strange phrase. I don't think I'm ever going to use it again, Jessica. If I'm honest with you, it makes me feel weird. Uh, but uh, you had to run to Kevin, I guess, to talk about a few things. One of which, and again, not not to go too much into detail in this, there's a conversation about Steve Rogers in mm-hmm. the first episode that we've had in the Empire office almost verbatim. Uh, <laughs> As well, I don't know whether you guys I have bugged our, our office or not, but you know, <laughs> for me, it's a, it's a discussion about whether you know Captain America is a virgin. For me, mm-hmm. Steve Rogers by name, but not Rogers by nature. Can you talk about? <laughs> <laughs> can you talk about that discussion? Yes, I mean, so much of the show of like anytime we make commentary about like Marvel itself um, is comes from real life conversations that we've all the writers have all had with our friends when we watch the movies. You know, these are the things that real people want answers to. We want to know if Steve Rogers gets out there is he if he's out in these streets, you know, (laughs) because that man is way too attractive to have gone through life and served his country and not have gotten some. But that's the thing. He serves his country. He's he's focused and dedicated on his country and not not on his personal pleasure. I don't think that he's I think I can't I can't support any country that says a man as hot as Captain America doesn't get to have sex. That's just that's not okay. That's not what our men are women women are fighting for. God damn it, Steve Rogers must get some. That's that. That's maybe what the next Captain America movie is about. Who knows? But um, the um, R-rated film. But uh, th- th- there are other things as well that you do that are really fun. You're playing with the format. You're playing with the the knowledge that this is a, an MCU show. Uh, so you have a lot of fun with tags and post credit stings. So we should probably tell people to stick around for the end of each episode. Oh yeah, I think almost every episode there might only be like one or two episodes that don't have a post credits tag but almost every episode in the grand tradition of marvel movies has a post credits uh tag and um and most of those are sometimes my my favorite part of the whole episode i mean you definitely want to stick around uh after the first episode for that sting because it answers the biggest question of the series 
Yes, it does. It does. Although I want, you know, maybe we can have a chat after the the whole series is finished. We can get into spoiler stuff because I'm still not 100% sold on that, by the way. I think that that answer came from the top is all I'll say. <laughs> I, I almost said Daddy Fag again, but I just want to say I don't actually ever call him that. Um, I I actually, well, what's funny is it's a it's a well-known joke amongst uh, p- uh, people who work on She-Hulk that I always refer to Kevin as my beloved Kevin or my precious Kevin. <laughs> Our glorious leader. <laughs> it's also, yeah. It's also a, yeah, absolutely. We should never call him Daddy Feige, especially not in the context that we're talking about right now. No, if, I'm being tr- if I'm being true to my real life, I would say my beloved Kevin. Yes. Okay. Let's do that. That's what I call him as well, funnily enough. So how weird, how weird do we do that? Um, but just talking about changes from the comic books and, you know, I want to talk about that relationship between between Jen and Bruce. But uh, you, one of the things that you do, you slightly, slightly tweak Jen's origin. Uh, and in order to, I guess, get through, get into the meat of the story uh, a lot quicker and into that relationship between Jen and Bruce, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, there's uh, I mean, this is a spoiler. So whoever's listening, I don't know, you know, like stop yourself, I guess. (laughs) But, but, you know, the reason we, you know, the reason I, I, we really wanted to change it was a couple of reasons, but one is the way that in the comics that uh, Jen gets her powers is through emergency blood transfusion from Bruce. But I just felt like we've seen 10 years of this Hulk in movies where he was so tortured about this, you know, like about the responsibility of having this power. And he really saw it as a curse um, and, and struggled with it for so long that it just didn't feel realistic that this man would, who has struggled with this for so long and saw this as such a deep, heavy burden that he would never want to put on anybody that he would just so willingly um, give that to his cousin, somebody that he loved and cared about. Like, why would he want to, why would he ever choose to curse her with this thing that he struggled, that we've only seen him struggle with. Um, And that just didn't feel like it fit with the current um, Hulk that we know in the MCU anymore. Mm. Um, And so that was one of the reasons. Um, And, uh, and then one of the other reasons was, you know, like uh, the Marvel top brass were like, let's not do a mob hit. Like, what are we doing here? That's, it just didn't feel like it was part of the, it didn't feel like it was uh, in keeping with like the tone of the show and with the story. And you are correct too, is that we kind of had to get into it very, very quickly. And so we needed something that was, you know, a minimal amount of setup where you don't really need that much backstory. You just want to know how it happens, but you don't need something where it's like, well, now we have to watch half an hour of why we got to that point. Absolutely. And, and another thing the first episode does really, really well is obviously we've never met Jen before in the MCU. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think she's even been mentioned. Uh, obviously, Marvel fans knew there was a Jen Walters out there somewhere. And yeah. what you do really, and Tatiana is so fantastic in this role, is that you very, very quickly cement that bond between her and Bruce. So Mark Ruffalo is great, obviously, uh, you know, in this as well. But that relationship's really interesting, especially in that in that first episode. There's there's familial love there. There's you know play you know horseplay, and then yeah. there's a little bit of an undercurrent uh, as well as things get a little bit deeper. I love that you said horseplay because one of our writers, Zeb Wells, who is a longtime Marvel Comics writer as as well as being a TV writer, um, he coined the term. He kept he kept using the term just cousin horseplay as if it was some. <laughs> 
like accepted term that was commonly used, but and he kept saying just cousin horseplay as yeah. if it was some term that everybody used every day. Um, but it's true. I mean, it is just cousin horseplay. Like the, the Tatiana and Mark had such great chemistry. Like from day one, it just felt like, oh, these these two people are cousins. Absolutely. They've spent every holiday together. They've gone to family reunions together. You know, they have little inside jokes and they know how to push each other's buttons. Like their relationship just right from the start felt very, very lived in. And I think, I think you can see that, you know, on the show. Absolutely, you can. And I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I do want to talk about, about uh, Tatiana as well, because she's, I mean, it's no newsflash to know that she's terrific. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's an angel sent to us from above. <laughs> How easy is it to write for her, especially since she's a, a good improv comedian yes. as well? Yes. And I only knew of her as a dramatic actress. So that was actually such a pleasant surprise for me to discover that, like, she is a gifted improviser and she's super, super funny. Like, um, but she's on top of all of that, like such an incredible actress, like she really, really made this character immediately from day one feel like a real person. You know, you you just saw this human being in front of you where you're like, this is a complex person who has layers, who has a backstory, who has lived life experiences and has all these like real relationships. And then she's funny on top of that. And then on top of all of that, Tatiana herself, the human, is like one of the best human beings on earth, if not the best human being on earth. Like she's so kind and empathetic and professional and like I could not have asked for a better star of a show. I thank my lucky stars every single day that I get to work with her and get to hang out with her. Amazing. Well, Jessica, I'm going to let you go because you need to find your way out of the basement. Uh, do say hello to uh, our beloved Kevin uh, <laughs> when you get out. And, uh, and uh, congratulations on the show again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, that was Jessica Gao. And next up is Kat Koiro, director of Marry Me, and who also brings her background in sitcoms like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Girls 5 Ever to this show. Here we talked about establishing a tone and template for She-Hulk. We dive deeper into the show's themes and discuss those fleabag comparisons. I also tried not to ask... Jessica, Kat, and Tatiana the same questions, but the one area of overlap was talking about how She-Hulk, more than Miss Marvel and Moonlight, is plugged in directly to the MCU from the off. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined in the She-Hulk preview podcast by the show's lead director and executive producer, Kat Coiro. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, I have to say your show is an absolute ruddy blast and uh, it must have been incredibly difficult to get right because you've got so much going on here. You have you have workplace, legal comedy, superhero shenanigans. You have fisticuffs every now and again. You have a, a, a lead character who's quite often CG. And you have fourth wall breaks. So how, what was the most difficult aspect of that? Or was it something I haven't even mentioned? When you put it like that, it sounds very daunting. Um, <laughs> it really was like putting every genre that exists into a blender. Um, and, you know, the big balance for me as the director was honoring the humor and the half hour vibe that the scripts presented mm -hmm. while still creating a visual world that fits into the MCU and captures some of that grandeur that we are used to if we are MCU fans. So it was a constant tightrope balancing those two things. 
when you first got involved, what was your what was your goal for the show? What was your sort of lookbook, or uh, you know, did you have a number of influences that you were looking to kind of emulate in a way? First and foremost was the essence of the character. I remember very well being a little girl and seeing She-Hulk on the cover of a comic book. And in this sea of masculine comic books, here was this large in-charge woman. And when I opened the pages, I saw her walk across advertisements and tell the writers what to do. And that may have influenced some of my career choices, to be honest. Um, And so the (laughs) essence of that power was something that was really important to me that I, I think we captured in the series. In terms of Lookbook, there were so many things. You know, I love Legally Blonde and Ally McBeal because of the way they turned the courtroom setting on its head and brought in this unabashed femininity. And, you know, even when you look at Legally Blonde, the color pink is not something you're used to seeing in a courtroom. And I would say similarly, the color green is not something we're used to seeing in the courtroom and just kind of subverting expectations, taking a genre that is so well known and tipping it on its head was something that really appealed to me. Um, In terms of visuals, I was lucky enough to get my regular DP, Florian Bauhaus, who I shot Marry Me with and I'm now shooting the Spider Chronicles with. And, you know, he and I built a visual language that really follows up on and is inspired by the MCU movies, because I think if you shot this like a regular comedy kind of handheld, you know, cross shooting While it would be funny, it wouldn't fit into the MCU. And that was always a goal, is to have this show fit squarely into the MCU while introducing a new flavor. That's that's really interesting because it it, it felt to me, it feels so fresh. And I I, I wonder if that's partly because of the the fourth wall breaks and the fact that it is, it's not a spoof. And that's very important as well. It's not a spoof, it's not a parody, but it is... Poking fun, sometimes gently, sometimes less gently, at at the MCU and at all the characters that we have grown to love over the last the last few years. I mean, there's some really funny jokes at the expense of Bruce and at the expense of Steve Rogers, and there are no there are no sacred cows, so to speak. No sacred cows, you know. And part of what was exciting about the fourth wall breaks is again, you know, She Hulk's been breaking the fourth wall since way before Deadpool or Fleabag. So I was never worried about those comparisons because she is an original character who has been doing that for 40 years. And I think the key was finding how do we do it enough that we feel like the audience is really connecting to her on that meta level, but not so much that it distracts from this very real and grounded world that we're building. And it's funny to talk about a real and grounded world when, you know, your lead is a six foot seven CGI green woman. But that really was one of the keys to making this show work was we're grounding it very firmly in the real world. Our real world happens to be part of the MCU, which includes all these outlandish characters. But it's not so often that you get to see a superhero engage in mundane everyday activities that everybody can relate to. And I think that's part of what makes it so exciting. Absolutely. I remember an interview with you from a couple of months ago um, where you were talking about the influence of, of Fleabag on the show. And a lot of people thought it was purely talking about the fourth wall breaks and the looks to camera. And it's absolutely not that. There, there, is, there are other tonal and uh, uh, character-based influences from from Fleabag and other shows as well? Well, I mean, I think what is so revolutionary about a show like Fleabag is that it's such a well-rounded, imperfect female lead. And we have all these difficult men in 
in television. We have Mad Men and The Sopranos and The Wire and these complicated men who we don't want to love, but we can't help it. And I think Fleabag was the part of this movement to like, you know, part of what makes exciting characters is that they're imperfect and they do things that aren't always right. And sometimes they make mistakes. And, you know, Jennifer Walters fits into that category in my mind because she has these powers that everybody would kill for and she doesn't want them and she runs away from them. And there's an imperfection there that I think is really appealing. There's also a really interesting thread that runs through the first four episodes, I'm presuming beyond that as well, uh, where people, you know, Jen is is amazing. Tatiana is fantastic, but, uh, but people don't want Jen. They want She-Hulk. And and the the impact that has on on Jen and her psyche is is really really interesting. But how much of that is also a self fulfilling prophecy? How much of that is Jennifer Walters not owning herself and feeling a lack of confidence that suddenly changes when she gets all this attention? We talked a lot about what identity means and how is identity a fixed thing. Or does it change based on how you are perceived and how you walk through the world? And one of the things that I think is so fascinating and why we needed an actress of Tatiana's caliber is that it's this really nuanced exploration of what it means to be yourself. Because yourself changes by the way people react to you. And I always hope that Jennifer takes a little of that confidence that she gets from being She-Hulk and brings it to her. Because I have no doubt she could command a room and get all that attention just being herself. But She's a little bit afraid. Absolutely, and uh, and the, the the balance between uh, Jen Jen and Jen She Hulk is really interesting as well. I'm I'm, I'm sure there are some budgetary concerns or, or or considerations whenever you're talking about how much She Hulk there is in an episode or or studied across the the entire show. But it's also the fact that you have Tatiana Maslany, who is one of the best actors on the planet, and. Did the balance of Jen and She-Hulk shift when she signed on? Because you want you want Tatiana. Well, I would say that part of our philosophy was with the CGI was capturing the actor's honest performance. Yeah. And that really was the thrust of what we worked on. You know, when you have Mark Ruffalo and Tatiana Maslany, you don't want to cover them up with CGI. You want to use the CGI to bring out everything that they have done. And it was really amazing working in post and working with Victoria Alonso and watching how that was the guiding principle. It was never about how cool can we make this look? It was always about how do we go to the heart of that performance? And no matter you know how outlandish this CGI character is, we get their facial nuances and their reactions. And, you know, Tatiana is such a, a, a listening actor. She's such an engaged performer. Mm. She's always thinking. And I think that our CGI reflects that. So we never thought of it like, oh, we don't want She-Hulk because we want to get Tatiana. We thought, let's get Tatiana into every part of Jen Jen and Jen She-Hulk. Was it always the, the balance between, was the balance always there between Jen and She-Hulk? I mean, it, there's, you know, yeah. in terms of the, the way they shift constantly. Yeah, you know, I, I know in the comics, she turns into She-Hulk forever. And yeah. that was never something that we discussed. We always wanted to have that balance because it is so much about the duality of self and being able to see her operate as I'm going to, you, you've coined it, Jen Jen and Jen She-Hulk, um, is part of the fun of the whole series. And so having that back and forth switch is something that we, you know, was was baked into it from the beginning. Am I right in thinking that this is the first, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, cat, but this might be the first 
TV show to have an entirely CG lead character. I know that I know that Brian Cranston was entirely CG for the last three seasons of Breaking Bad, but apart from that, uh, <laughs> but apart from that, I can't really think of any. There's obviously CG characters and CG dragons and things like that, but this is a hell of a thing to have a, a CG lead character. You're telling me, um, you know, it's so funny to go into doing something that is ostensibly a half hour sitcom, you know, of which I've done many and then adding this layer, this complication. So you're having to, you know, capture that nuance of comedy and be loose and also preparing to capture a CGI character, which takes a lot of um, a lot of preparation. Obviously, I'm not. I'm not a she, nor am I a Hulk, but I know from talking to Tatiana and talking to Jessica, and having seen the the first four episodes, part of the the aim of the show is to capture the the modern female experience as well. So, can you talk about that and the conversations that you had with with Jessica and Tatiana about about capturing that and reflecting that, but in a very perceptive but also comedic way? Well, you know. First and foremost, I want this show to be entertaining. I want every audience to enjoy it. I I want to make something that really transports you to another world and lets you get involved in these characters. And I love that there is a subtle and sometimes not so subtle undertone of what it means to walk through the world as a woman, because it's not something that we see a lot of. You know, when I look at She-Hulk, in a bar being hit on by somebody she doesn't want to talk to and she doesn't have to be polite. It is a wish fulfillment fantasy that every single woman in the world has had because we are conditioned to be polite. We are conditioned to smile even when we don't want to. And that stems partially from the fact that not being polite could put us in physical danger. And She-Hulk, by erasing that element from the female experience, is a real it's a real fantasy that I think every woman can relate to. And we talked a lot about that. Like, what does it mean to walk through the world as a woman? How different is it from walking through the world, you know, as a he Hulk? When you have a Hulk, he's allowed to fly into a rage. I love when she talks about the fact that women know how to control their anger. It's something that they're conditioned to do. And it's so true. It's such a universal truth that any woman, I think, will relate to that I think maybe a lot of men have never thought about. So, you know, first and foremost, I wanted to make a funny kick-ass show. And if you go away from it and at the end of the day, you think things and it actually enlightens, you know, men to kind of seeing things through a different perspective, then I feel very happy. That line that, that Jen says with with Bruce, you know, that's the you know that's the everyday experience for a woman. That, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, you know that that comes during the the middle of the first episode, which is a ton of fun. And unlike, say, Moon Knight or Miss Marvel, which were very much self-contained and didn't have any other cameos from MCU characters, right in the first episode, you're plunging us into this extended Mark Ruffalo appearance. Uh, you know, with with the Hulk right there. And that feels so fresh and interesting, this this new chemistry between between him and, and Jen. What was it like for you directing that? Was that kind of the first stuff you, you shot? Um, it wasn't. Um, okay. And, you know, one thing I'll say about that is you can't direct chemistry. And <laughs> I, you know, I was so grateful the first minute I saw them together to know that this would work because they have incredible chemistry. 
They have a playfulness with each other that we ended up capitalizing on and writing into that first episode just from watching them, like the montage of them throwing the boulders and jumping came directly from watching Mark and Tatiana play together and explore these characters. And I know both of them on set and then later in interviews have said that wearing the mocap suit and the camera in the face and the dot separates you from the rest of the actors and the crew. And they drew on that experience of otherness to kind of form this alliance that is so fun to watch and it was so fun to be a part of. Uh, Tatiana is like a like a plug and play actor in a way like you can put her in a room or a scene with any actor and chemistry is there and it's true this I think you know it's funny when I say that they had instant chemistry because I think Tatiana has instant chemistry with everybody and she really she is one of those people it's because she's so engaged and she listens and she is always thinking about the big picture she's a very smart actress who is able to think about the macro but then also focus on the micro absolutely because she's got chemistry i mean you know not to give too much away but tim rolf's in the show people saw in the trailer benedict wong is in the show and she has chemistry with those guys immediately uh, as well and there's a really funny line uh, about the show not being a cameo of the week yes. show <laughs> <laughs> but then, of course, it has its cake and eats it and kind of becomes that. Um, without giving anything away, Kat, can we expect more cameos down the line, more appearances from MCU alumni? Here's what I'll say. <laughs> the key to this show was grounding it in the real world. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is our real world is the MCU and mm -hmm. we're smack dab in the middle of Los Angeles at a law firm. And so you have this very organic location where any superhero who needs help or happens to be a lawyer is going to come to. And so what I love about it is, yes, there are tons of cameos. There are ones that have not yet been revealed, but they are totally organic to the setting and they never feel um, like they're just there for the sake of a cameo. They feel like they're part of the fabric of the story and the world that we've built. Interesting. Very interesting indeed. And uh, there's just two real quick last things before I, I let you go. Uh, one is that the, again, only four episodes in, but the, what I love, one of the things I love about the show is that there is a, you know, it is episodic. We're, we're following Jen as she goes along this path towards you know, discovering herself as She-Hulk. And there's a sense of a larger story beginning to form around the edges, but it isn't that super villain of the week thing mm -hmm. that I think people might expect from a show like this. Can you talk about that, that approach that's very refreshing and different? Well, that was something we we discussed a lot because the show is is different. One of the luxuries of having a long format series is that you get to um, you get to really play in the character development space and you get to see a character come home after a long day and take their shoes off. You're not driven by a constantly ticking plot clock. And so, yes, there is a plot forming and there are things brewing on the horizon, but we don't have that constant need to throw our character into peril. Instead, we get to slowly know her and see how she operates in the world so that when things do come to a head, we're fully invested in who she is and what the choices that she's going to make are. The last thing I wanted to say was simply Mark Lynn Baker. Cousin Larry from Perfect Strangers. I am very, very happy about that. I am so happy about Mark Lynn Baker. He has such a warmth and a just you just love him instantly. I mean... I remember he auditioned for the show and we all just fell in love. We we had that moment so many times on this show where, you know, the cast just 
they just won us over. You know, Madison, who's played by Patty Guggenheim, she's someone I've worked with many times in the past. And I think she's one of the comedic geniuses of our time. So funny. And I remember I pitched her to the group and everyone said, yeah, great. Let's see her read. And she came into the audition and had everybody actually crying tears in her audition on a Zoom, by the way, in the middle of a pandemic, um, which is not an easy thing to do. And um, I, I feel so, so lucky with the you know, the caliber of actors we had. And I, and I was able, I'd worked with Jamila Jamil before she was in Marry Me. I'd worked with Ginger Gonzaga. I worked with Renee Elise Goldsberry on Girls 5 Eva. So it was really about, you know, surrounding um, She-Hulk with these really phenomenal and comedic actors. Amazing. Well, Kat, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to let you go, but thanks so much for your time. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, so that was Cad Cairo, and I loved what happened there, that little glitch glitch at the end of the interview, so I decided to leave it in because it made me laugh. Anyway, uh, let's hear now from She-Hulk herself, the delightful Tatiana Maslany, who I spoke to about finding this character, about any trepidation she might have had about entering the MCU, about then fitting into the MCU, getting Hulk lessons from Mark Ruffalo. We talked about Comedy Bang Bang, Better Call Saul, and much, much more. Oh, and I got cancelled halfway through which was fun. This is one of my favourite interviews of late, and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we, well, at least I did. Enjoy. Hey, Tatiana, how's it going? Good, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. I have to say, your show is a delight. A delight. Oh, <laughs> I loved oh, good, it. I love that. I'm going around, awesome. I'm being very evangelical about it at the moment, so... Uh, so. <laughs> It's, it's, That's so awesome. It's the good stuff. I've seen the first four episodes, so please don't tell me it falls off a cliff after episode four because I couldn't it take it. It absolutely tanks. <laughs> no, no, that sucks. <laughs> Sorry, it's true. Oh, no. no, it's it gets. I I kind of feel like it actually gets better and better so oh, there you yeah. go that's that's the goal isn't it with tv shows you want to show it to yeah. get better and better and better otherwise what's the For point sure. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that's a tricky thing uh so yeah. she hulk attorney at law uh starts i don't know if you know this but it starts the same week <laughs> that better call saul ends oh yeah <laughs> is that a coincidence or is there a, a quote well, are we going to have one lawyer show on tv at a time or is jen I'm gonna break saying... bad <laughs> right <laughs> I, uh, I'm not saying I don't make a cameo as She-Hulk in that show and that we don't have Saul, you know, walking past frame. I'm not going to say that. You, you so never know. make your inferences. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. Cause I, I haven't seen, as I just said, I haven't seen episodes five to nine of She-Hulk. And I That's haven't right. seen. That's the... when Saul, it's really Saul heavy. <laughs> yeah. So it's better call She-Hulk, She-Hulk at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better Saul She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> I am in. Honestly, if anyone Good. listening to this wants to make that show, then call me, slide into my DMs. Let's, let's make that happen. Um, but but this You're this, asking for slides. <laughs> I am. I am. I might as well. Listen, I'm trying to get a side hustle going here. If I can use these interviews to get like a better paying job, yes. then I am happy to do that. <laughs> totally. Do you do that when you're when you're in interviews? Do you like throw out, hey, I, by the way, I have Spielberg's listening. I'm available between March yeah, and September. I do a lot of shout outs to directors I want to work with. <laughs> and I pitch ideas for movies. I actually read, a, I've written a few scripts and I just page through and read aloud from them. <laughs> Playing all the roles, obviously. That's right. That's obviously. right, Michael. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So this this whole experience, this She-Hulk 
experience, which is very difficult for me to say. <laughs> she, -Hulk, she Hulk is much more difficult to say than I thought it would be. But uh, Hulk is a hard word to say. It's a hard word to say. It's a hard word, but in you, in a it's sentence. the it's the she going into the Hulk, and it's you know. Oh, so you're blaming the she? No, I'm not blaming the she because I know how, I know that that sounds that that presents as problematic. That is <laughs> true. I'm, I'm canceling not, you right now. I am absolutely not blaming the she. I cannot make that more clear okay. uh, at this point in time. But it's a very difficult thing to say, and it's entirely yeah. your fault. And uh, I. <laughs> This whole experience for you was was this something that you know could get into the MCU when you started to have conversations about the show? Were you trepidatious at at any point about jumping in with both feet into this world? Yeah, I've always been trepidatious of any kind of massive, uh, massive undertaking like this. Um, you know, uh, I, I I have kind of prided myself on always wanting to go after, you know, smaller pieces that are character driven. And it doesn't matter. This really doesn't matter the size of things, but I have been more comfortable in a smaller thing or a smaller role. So definitely stepping into this huge universe was daunting to me. But but I have to say that, like, the script made it undeniable when I auditioned and got to read the pilot script. I was like, this is so fun and this is so different and this feels like it actually like touches on things that I'm really curious about as a as an actor and as an artist that I want to talk about but it does it in this like comedic way so it's like in that respect it's also a challenge for me so yeah it just it just felt undeniable it's got a remarkably light touch I mean it's, it's very much within the zeitgeist it's very much a show that it, that that could only be made now I think but yeah. from the moment, you know, not to give too much away uh, for people who haven't seen the first four episodes, like lucky old me, but, you know, not to give too much away, but, you know, there's what two minutes in and you're breaking the fourth wall, which of course is something that Jen does in the, in the comic books. And it mm -hmm. touches on things like, you know, Jen has, you know, she gets devalued constantly for who she is when she's herself and people laud She-Hulk over her and there's the emphasis on looks and physique and... Is that the sort of stuff that you and, and, and Kat and Jessica wanted to really explore with this? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like in Jessica's like creation of this character, she wanted to um, really like play with all the ways that we uh, have to deal with how we're perceived as women. And and I think, you know, in the same way you're saying about like the, the fourth wall breaks, She-Hulk is always aware of how she's perceived, whether she like can control that or whatever she's always looking back <laughs> yeah. you know so looking out and and aware and and so that and that awareness i think uh, you know plays into also the way she's conscious when she becomes she hulk she never like loses it like hulk does she never like becomes a different person mm. her consciousness remains the same and all of that intelligence and hyper awareness and like savvy about the world around her at the same time as being kind of like, you know, Jen is also like trying to figure it out and can't really get her shit together. <laughs> you know, there's like a fun balance there of like the thing that we're as women, like have to be so conscious of perception yeah. and um, our presence in a space and what it's, what other people are telling us about ourselves, you know? So, so it, it it is yeah. I think I think we all wanted to tell that story. And 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 from a, from an acting standpoint as well. I mean, as you say, there there is no real delineation between Jen Jen and She Hulk Jen. 
but physically, of course, there's a huge difference for you. And what was that like for you? I imagine, was there mocap on set or was it pretty much all on the, the Imaginarium volume with with that stuff? No, what's amazing about this is that I was in like regular shooting situations in the mocap suit. I would be on location in the mocap suit, which is like, I think kind of unheard of, you know, like the courtroom, like walking up the steps of the courthouse in the mocap suit. So like you're in the actual live environment and, and we did do some things in the volume, which is like the big gray space where there's cameras all around and, and it's just exclusively for like little moments, but, but there was a lot of it that was done on the day. And so, so I really got, you know, that suit was like a costume to me, you know, <laughs> and <did laughs> for you... better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and how, how did you do the, the physical side of things? Because Jen's what she hulks about, what, seven feet tall or something like that? Yeah. So were you just standing on boxes or were people in holes? How, how, did, that, how were did that work? People were in holes. <laughs> you know, like in the olden days. They dug like these like, d- yeah, these like canals where other actors walked through. <laughs> Instead of giving me just like a platform, an Apple box. No, we, we had the, we had the platforms or we had, um, there would be the stick on my head that had like kind of a dead, dead and she Hulk face up on top of it, sort of smiling (laughs) blankly that people would have to talk to or, um, yeah. So there were all these different techniques for, for getting my height. Correct. Right. Uh, which, which inevitably is harder for the other actors than for me. I get to look at them and they have to look at this like blank face (laughs) above my head. That is wild. But presumably you'd already had experience of that uh, because I imagine, I'm guessing that some of the prep or maybe even the first things you shot were on that stage on the volume, perhaps with Ruffalo, uh, who I don't know whether he gave you a crash course in how to Hulk. (laughs) That's right. You know, when Hulk like brings out that binder. Yeah. At the beginning, is like, this is a 15-year journey. That's a real binder. And that Mark wrote that binder. <laughs> no, he's, he's like, Mark's just such a, like, he, like, loves other actors so much. He's so kind. He really, like, just wanted to talk about it and had stories of his own that were, like, insightful, but also was, like, so curious about my process and how I was experiencing it. Um, and so a lot of, like, you know, we, we got to talk about it trade stories off camera, but then Hmm. on camera, he's also trying to tell me how to do it right. And I'm like, no, no, I do it this way. (laughs) And so there was, you know, a fun uh, interchange there that, that reflected, you know, that like, I I felt so warmly about him. And I think we really just like found like a fun play, play, I want to say playpen to play in a playground uh, within which we kind of built on set and, and uh, yeah. So that it was amazing. But that reflects nicely the Bruce and Jen relationship, especially in, the, in that first episode as well. So, totally. so that's good. So, so were exchanges that the two of you had, did they find a way into the script? Yes, there were uh, not necessarily exchanges, but there was definitely like, because, because when you're working with Mark, nothing off camera is any, like, you're not like suddenly, suddenly you're acting, you know, he's just so flowy with the whole thing. So it it lended itself to us like one day when we're doing that training montage, mm. most of that is improvised or there were like beats that we kind of had to hit. But then we were just like playing between because they would just kind of keep the camera rolling. And then those improv 
moments ended up being <laughs> sent off to the VFX artists who then built built two hulks on a cliff, you know, uh, kind of like doing breakdance moves. <laughs> that breakdance move I do uh-huh. is real. That's no, real. no, no, no. Oh, come on. It was, I did a, I did a lesser breakdance move, an easier freeze, and then they made it into what you see on the day. Ah, uh, take so the thank credit. You for that. Just, just to say I was, I was parkouring everywhere. And that's right. That's, it's, it's all me. That's fascinating because obviously I know you have a background in, in improv comedy and, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of your appearances in Comedy Bang Bang and I'm hoping that you'll be a guest I'm, on the show soon. I may again. have done one for this. I don't know. It's very, very exciting. Very exciting indeed. <laughs> and uh you know so is that easy because it's a very very funny show but yeah, the whole point of performance capture is to allow an actor to act as they normally would so you can improv wend its way that's a weird phrase but it can wend its no, way yeah. into this into this show i think it has it has to like because there's something so absurd about being in that suit you know, like you kind of feel like a big baby in a, in pajamas, you know, in a lot of ways. So it's sort of if you're too serious about it, you know, if you think if you think you're cool, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it does lend itself to like a goofiness. And again, like when you have actors like Mark or Benedict Wong or like Ginger Gonzaga, John Bass, like all of these like incredible comedic brains, it's and, and you want to make the most real version of a superhero show, those like bantery between moments, I think are what make it like sing. You know what I mean? They're what make it feel like you're actually catching people as opposed to like a curated thing. Absolutely. There's there's a lovely chemistry, even though you're separated by sheets of thick glass with uh, with you and Tim Roth, for example. And I can just (laughs) imagine. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's in the, he's in the trailer, right? So we can we can talk about that next time. Totally, <laughs> totally. Okay. And Tim, yeah, and Tim was like, I think Tim, when he came to set, was like, what is going on? Because tonally, this is such a different thing for, for his character. Mm-hmm. But like watching him find that, like, um, you know, that guy who's co-opted yoga, yogic um, mentality <laughs> as like a prisoner in a high, you know, it was so much fun. He was so great. And his experience must have been in a weird, weird way similar to yours because he hasn't been in the MCU since 2008. So the whole thing's changed and kind of grown up around him. And you've had a very interesting experience in that some of the people who've been in the MCU Disney Plus shows recently, whether it's, you know, Iman Falani in, in Miss Marvel or Oscar Isaac in, in Moonlight, were very self-contained and didn't really feel like they were part of a larger narrative. Here from episode one, you've got Ruffalo, you've got Tim Roth, you've got Benedict Wong, as you say. So it must have mm-hmm. felt straight away like this is the full-on, maybe not quite full-on Avenger experience, but full-on MCU experience for you. I don't know if that was useful or not. For sure. Um, I Like, especially, I think, for me when Benedict was on set, because, I, you know, I knew there would be Hulk material that we were dealing with. So Mark made sense to me, you know, and so did the abomination. But like to have Benedict in who's like not from. My realm, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. That's where it really starts to get like elastic and you can feel. And obviously his stuff in this is ridiculous. He's so funny he and he's so, so up for playing. Right. Like he just. He truly, you know, portals in from a different universe and like maintains that like that character in such a strong way, but also like makes him say the craziest shit. And it's just like so that that flexibility is so exciting. 
I'm very, very excited to see where this goes. I've got to let you go in, in just a second. But I've got to ask, you yeah. know, this is a sort of, it's a superhero show. So people ask you all the time, who would win in a fight between She-Hulk and Batman? Who would win in the fight uh-huh. between She-Hulk and the Hulk? <laughs> uh-huh. I'm going to ask you, who would win in the fight between She-Hulk and Saul Goodman? <laughs> hmm, in the courtroom or outside? Outside. None of this courtroom, courtroom nonsense. Outside. Okay, on. so this is like... School ground, like school rules. Yeah, school yeah like dispensing with Queensby rules. Like this is down and dirty. Yeah, yeah. She-Hulk would absolutely, I feel like Saul would start talking and never stop. And She-Hulk would like truly do this flick. <laughs> and he'd go <laughs> flying <laughs> through a wall. <laughs> there you go. Through a wall. That's it. That's it. And that's through when Better Call Saul, Saul becomes Better Call She-Hulk. Fantastic. Tatiana yeah. Maslany, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. Okay, that was Tatiana Maslany, and that is it for this She-Hulk Attorney at Law preview special. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you have as much fun with the actual show as I have so far. Again, could dive off a cliff after episode five. We will be doing spoiler specials for this show, but we are going to be taking a slight break from our usual weekly episode schedule for a number of reasons. Partially my decreased availability over the next few weeks. Regular listeners will probably know why. I won't bore you with the details here. But also mainly the deluge of episodic TV at the moment means we just don't have the time or pod people power, quite frankly, to dedicate two weekly episodes for this and or House of the Dragon and the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. So instead, we're going to be doing episodes recapping the first and final episodes of each of those with one or two midway episodes thrown in now and again as well. This way, subscribers to our spoiler specials, and I thoroughly recommend you become one of them if you're not already. Go to empire.supportingcast.fm to sign up. $2.99 a month, $32.99 a year. What a bargain. Subscribers get a ton of episodes every month, but nobody gets overwhelmed. And there's lots of room for film spoiler specials as well. But hey, that's not all. Our first She-Hulk Attorney at Law spoiler special will be a live show recorded this weekend as part of our celebrations of the Pilot TV Podcast's 200th episode. That is taking place at King's Place in London. Tickets are on sale right now at kingsplace.co.uk. So come along if you want to see me, Helen O'Hara, James Dyer and A.N. Other, I think it's a mon woman, but I can't be sure at this point, banging on about She-Hulk. Oh, and there may be kisses. You have been warned slash appropriately prepared. Right, that's it for me. I'm off to break the fourth wall. Our neighbours are furious. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. She-Hulk rocks! <laughs> Little cameo from my wife there. Bye. Bye.